y'all. This is Mallory Irvin, and it's time for all of us to live fully. It's so important in this crazy world of ours that we stay connected, inspired, and motivated to be and do our best. And that's not always easy. I'm here with my guests and friends to share the stories and lessons we've learned to help you live your best life every day and truly begin living fully. Let's make it happen and get started with today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Living Fully podcast. I have an amazing guest today. Today, we have a New York Times bestselling author of Love Does and Everybody Always, Bob Goff. Bob Goff has inspired millions to dream big and make life more awesome. He calls himself a recovering lawyer because after practicing law for 25 years, he gave up his law firm to pursue writing and speaking full time. Take it from a guy who had the audacity to put his cell phone number in the back of his book. There's huge power in just being present and available to those around you. He's become living proof of that. So what goals and dreams have you been putting off out of fear or thought that you can't do it or that it's too hard? Because chances are Bob can talk you out of those thoughts and send you charging into your next new adventure. Without further ado, I am so thrilled to bring you guys Bob Goff. Wow. What an exciting day it is today because I have just a true light in this world, Bob Goff with me today. Hello, Bob. I'm so excited. I'm so glad that we're getting a little time to talk. Thanks for letting me be on your podcast. Of course. You are just a light to so many people. And it's funny because I've had a lot of great people on the podcast. I've had a lot of people that you've had on your podcast, and it's been so exciting. I have actually never had the response to another guest that was bigger than the response to you. So people are super excited. And that just goes to show how amazing you are. So, Oh, I'm just glad we're all in this together. One big happy family, right? One big happy family. Yes. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so excited. So this podcast is airing very shortly after the book Dream Big will be blessing us. And I want to talk a lot about Dream Big, but also some of your other messages from your other books, because they're so amazing and strong, but so applicable, I think, in in the world that we're in today in this crazy year, 2020. So I actually want to start out with that, Bob, if you don't mind. Bob's so awesome. I said, is there anything we can't talk about or you want to talk about more? And he just said, whatever you want to talk about, I'm here to bless you and your audience. So super excited for that. So I asked my followers actually on Instagram if they wanted to submit a question just because people were so excited about me having you. And it's funny because a question that I was actually going to ask anyways was was about this year and something that we just kind of talked about off air. So you say a line in your book, you say, when our lives are disrupted, big feelings arise. And have we not, I mean, seen that right now? And many people are feeling that 2020 is just one big, huge, you know, disruption to the way that we've lived our lives and to the way that, you know, we just exist in the the world. So I would love to start talking about that because a lot of my followers were like, I would love to hear what Bob thinks because we feel God is at work. So can we start with that? Yeah, you bet. I think this disruption 
comes in a couple different flavors, kind of like the front side and the back side of every wave. Like, so the front side is where all the surfing happens here in San Diego, but there's always a backside to it. And so you can say disruption in our lives sometimes can be good to kind of pop us off the rails of the tracks that we've been on for a really long time. They can lead us to really beautiful places. That's the front side of the ways. And you can lead us to really dark places. And so I think what we need to do is a time of reflection, but not a time of distraction. Because I just think, I don't see, you know, the devil around every corner, but I don't think that darkness needs to destroy us. It just needs to distract us. Mm -hmm. And I think earth got distracted about four months ago, and then it got really distracted again in early June. And no doubt there'll be other distractions. And if we could stay on purpose, if we know why we're doing what we're doing, that would be a beautiful way to push back against all the distractions and disruptions we don't have control over. There are going to be, you know, environmental disruptions. There's going to be economic disruptions. There'll be even relational disruptions that are beyond our control. But what we get to decide is whether we'll be distracted. And the way to not be distracted is to remember your purpose. And so for each person, some people, faith is a big deal for them and they'll find their purpose in pursuing God. Other people will find their purposes in other things. And I think we need to tend to our own fire instead of telling everybody else what they ought to do and what they ought to believe. Just tend to your own fire. And if the things that you believe are true, people will know this because they'll see the things that you're spending your time on. Yeah. I love what you just said, especially with the, the distraction, because a lot of times you think to get knocked off course, it's, it's such a clear thing, but that distraction, that's such a big thing because it, it has in, in the moments of people saying things correctly and, and incorrectly and stuff. I feel like the real message of, of love has been lost sometimes in arguing back and forth, you know? Yeah. I'm a guy who wins arguments for a living. I'm a lawyer. Never lost a case. And it's not because I'm an awesome lawyer. I'm an awesome picker. <laughs> I just don't pick <laughs> cases I can lose. So one of the things that I've observed is that sometimes the people that appoint themselves the guard and perceive themselves to be the guard, they're actually the prisoner. Mm-hmm. And so one thing that will occur is that we'll think we're arguing with one person when we're actually arguing with someone else. We're arguing with the dad that didn't acknowledge them, the boss that fired them, the girlfriend that dumped them. They, we're, we're arguing with this other person and you somehow stepped into the role of that person. You're that guy, you're the boss, the boyfriend, the whatever it is. And so if we could just take an interest in each other, slow down the cadence and ask a couple of questions like, what's been the high and the low this week? Like, what was the last time you laughed so hard the, no- the milk came out your nose? And when's the last time that you just felt really weepy and cried? I have a, a friend named Rory and he lost his wife. And as he and I were talking about that, Rory started crying, talking about losing Joey. And he plays a lot of country Western music. And mm-hmm. Joey passed and he just teared up. So if you asked me, when was the last time you cried? I'd be like, I cried with my friend Rory as he was talking about their little girl who was born right before her mom passed. She has downs. And so story you're talking about. Yes. And so that little girl yesterday walked home, which is 100 yards from the little schoolhouse he built. 
She walked home from the schoolhouse to the house all alone. It was only 100 yards, but it was just, Rory could not make it through the sentence. I think if we start talking about those things, then we talk about social issues that are very important, but we've established a rapport with one another. We've talked about things that are meaningful. And I think what what that takes is a little bit of authenticity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which you clearly have. And I love the, I love the way that you write, which is, I think, why other people seek you in these conferences and different things that you do. It's just, it's, it's really beautiful. I'm in the middle of writing a book Currently. No, you are not. Good and, for you. Well, thank oh, man, you. that's great. But I, I just, oh, I read your books and I'm like, if I could only write like anyone in the world, it would be you because it's so simple and digestible. And sometimes there's just too many words and you just have the right words. And it's, yeah, it's amazing for, from a lawyer too, because a lot of times they I have know. the most words, you know? Who knew? Yeah. What I found that was really helpful for me, and I can barely spell cat. But what I found is that I just try to write bad words, not like cuss words, just bad words. Uh And then I go back and make them better later. And so it takes the pressure off. If you're like listening and can find a wide spot in the road and you've wanted to be an author, write a word and you're actually an author. (laughs) (laughs) Love that. And then you can go for a whole sentence, maybe even a paragraph. Who knows? But a lot of the people that I know that self-identify as authors don't spend a lot of time offing. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Never get around to writing stuff. Uh, they know how many spoons are in the drawer. All the soup labels in the cabinets are all facing out. Uh-huh. Anything to distract them from the heavy lifting of actually writing words. So I do have a discipline. I bet today's at, by mid-morning. I bet I've sent myself 50 or 100 emails with fragments, shards of thoughts, of things that I want to loop back to. And then I uh, go back to those and I say, is there something there? I remember a time that I made a big mistake. There's actually a kid, we we're talking, I was thinking about this idea of taking an interest. I was a young life leader and there was a kid named Todd and he was in high school and, and they said, you should spend time with these high school kids. And like, so like if you were doing it right, you'd spend maybe four hours a week. And so what I tried to do, I'm mean, as a call it, I wasn't trying to get credit for anything. I was just trying to say, well, how much time do I spend with Todd? Mm-hmm. And so I thought, well, I spent about like a half an hour Monday. And then on Wednesday, I saw him just real quick for like 10 minutes. On Thursday, we hung out for about an hour. And then all that, I wrote that down. Todd came over to my house, went to get something in my room, and he saw I'd be keeping track how much time I was spending with him. Mm. Now, I was so embarrassed. And what started out as a really beautiful, innocent thing, he came out, he's like, wow, like you're keeping track. And it just reminded me that people aren't projects. People are people. That we're not here to fix people. We're not here to straighten people out. We're here to just understand one another and to take a keener interest in their stuff than our stuff. And we're not supposed to keep track. So, man, I was so embarrassed by having done that. It wasn't because I was trying to turn something in. I was just trying to say, well, do I spend four hours? And I realized that we don't measure relationships anymore. What we do is you and I have some time together. I just want to be. 100% 100% here. I love in the South, they say, be where your feet are. Mm, be where like, your feet just, are. Yeah, don't be like here and there and there. And I think that's what happens sometimes. You know, Apple made an iPhone. 
<laughs> and it's like so we're constantly checking our it wouldn't be the first time an apple did us in but we're constantly elsewhere we look like we're in proximity to one another but we're not fully present and so to come up with strategies not to keep track of the time that we spend with each other but be very mindful of it i want to be 100 percent with you I'm not thinking about the next thing. I'm not thinking about the thing that just happened. And uh, something about that, if we could just be fully present, then we'll see, observe, engage better. So that's what I'm working on. Something just practicing being present. Hmm. I love that. And I, I just appreciate so much this time that you've spent with me. I, I love this story that you just told. I was getting ready to go into Dream Big, but it reminded me of something else that I'd written down about just another one of your books. I think it was, I get them confused. I think it was everybody always. What's the creepy people chapter in? No, that's, yeah. yeah that is so everybody you always. always, you always yes. um, which you talk about that. I just, you're, you're away with words. It's just, I love it. But you always say like, you know, Jesus sought out the people that were the hardest for him to speak to, that didn't agree with him, with his ideals, with, they didn't pat him on the back and say, go Jesus. <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're all this, we're all the same. He really sought out the people who had different, differing opinions, who, who pushed back. And it just reminded me, it was so funny because I visited that chapter again, like during this week when I was preparing for this podcast. And it was like, what a beautiful message and what one that's really ringing true right now. I feel like the angels are cheering a little bit louder when you, when you do that, when you seek out those people. Can you just speak a little bit into that? Because it's a really hard thing. And it's actually a question that I got from a lot of my followers to ask you. How yeah, of, do you of, do that? <laughs> yeah. One of the things about people that are, you know, a little creepy or difficult and is that we're actually the people who are creepy and difficult. Yeah. Yes, yes. I'm thinking it's other people. And I think heaven is leaning over the rail saying, uh-huh. Bob, you're not as delightful as you think you uh-huh. are. Uh-huh. <laughs> you have spurts <laughs> of delightfulness, <laughs> but the rest of the time, not so much. And so I don't think God is waving a bony finger at us. I think we look at this model that Jesus had, and then we look at our lives and we realize that, at least for me, that I've spent my whole life avoiding the people Jesus spent his whole life engaging. Mm. And so something has got to change in me and I need to have an openness, a willingness to be completely misunderstood. And so that's okay with me. There was a time earlier when I didn't want to be misunderstood. Mm. It was like very, very important. And now I'm realizing that that we're just going to misunderstand each other, but it's, it's an opportunity to be kind, mm-hmm. not to straighten somebody out. Now, don't get me wrong. I've, like, I've got the kids call it the lawyer voice. Like I've got a pretty strong justice thread in there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I tried death penalty cases against witch doctors that sacrifice children. So that is a pretty creepy business card. But, wow. but yeah. to say, God loves kids. Like he didn't, he didn't seem to like lawyers much, but he's nuts about kids. (laughs) And so to say, how can we engage these difficult things? And the overarching idea for me is this, that there's no love without justice, Mm -hmm. but there's no justice without love. Mm -hmm. And so it's both and it's not binary. It's not either this, you've got the justice thing going, or you've got the love thing going. I think it's both. And to realize that the fullest expression of justice is loving people without an agenda. 
And I'm not going to love you if you agree with me. I'm not going to love with you if you if you say the night right things. I won't love you and your husband from afar if you do the things I would do. I'm just going to appreciate that you guys have fallen in love with each other. You've seen the sparkle in one another. And while I'm not privy to that beautiful relationship that you have and the difficulties that you must face like sweet Marie and I do, I can just appreciate that you're engaged in that. And I I think what I want to do is see the person's passions rather than seeing their positions. Mm. Because it's easy to see their positions, like, you know, who you voting for? What do you think about this issue, that issue? And I just see myself less as an umpire calling balls and strikes and more like a base coach Mm -hmm. telling people, you just keep running your race, Mm -hmm. you know? I I love that. And I, it reminds me of a question that I was going to ask you about the Sherpa because you talk about like you're the Sherpa on the, on the journey of the mountain in dream big. So I, I had to ask you, I was like, Oh my gosh, I have to tell Bob this. So I think you, you know, you say you want to be the Sherpa on the journey. Well, my dad is a mountain climber, so he's climbed, he's doing, you know, the seven summit club. Yeah. Okay. So there's 450 people or so, I guess now, maybe it's a little bit more, a little less that have done this, that have done all. So he's got one left. He decided no, like out of jail. I'm going to do all the mountains. And he always says what you say. He always says like that Sherpa without the Sherpa, I couldn't have done it. Cause people are always like, how did you do it? How did you do it? How did you do it? Because he's, he's not like some crazy fit guy. He's not, he's got something mentally that people don't have, but like, he always says it's it's the Sherpa. The Sherpa is so important. And yeah. I wanted you to speak into that because I love it. And as soon as I read it, I was like, oh my gosh, like I need Bob to tell us more about like how you want to be the Sherpa on this journey in this new book uh, yeah, as we I dive think, into Dream Big. I think sometimes people, it's become a popular reference to say we need a guide and that we can be the guide or that or that we're looking for a guide in the process. And I understand the importance of the guide. The guide picks the mountains. The guide sets the table. The guide decides when you move and when you stay and all that. But the Sherpa just helps you get to the top. You pick the mountain. The Sherpa wakes up early and just sets the ropes just so you can climb up your mountain faster. And so I don't see myself as a guide. I see myself as a Sherpa. It's like, how can I, in the Benedictine tradition, there's a beautiful role it's called a porter. Now, I thought a porter was the person that carried all my boxes to base camp, right? Mm-hmm. But a porter for the Benedictine was somebody whose job was to go to the gate every morning and ask this, how can I help you mm-hmm. on your way? Is that beautiful? It's That's beautiful. Sherpa language. How can I help you on your way? And so take any social issue, gay, straight, Buddhist, Baptist, whatever the background or direction that somebody's going is there a way that I can be helpful to you on your way. And I just think there's something beautiful, very palms up about that to say that does that mean I don't have a views about this, like my worldview and, but well, I'm letting my theology inform my face. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of people who have awesome doctrine and lousy theology. Mm. I don't want to have awesome doctrine, believe all the right stuff, I want to actually do the right stuff. And I think the right stuff is to just be helpful to people. Yeah. And it's, and sometimes we think we're being helpful when we're actually, there's a, a, a pet word that I don't like phrase is constructive criticism. Oh, I, I <laughs> it's hate criticism. that. Criticism, call it what it is, dude. 
It's just criticism. So, yeah, what I want to do, yeah, you are not being as helpful as you think. So instead, like I remember when Richard Goff, he came home, I bet in the fourth grade, he made an ashtray for me out of clay. And I, I wanted to start smoking. I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> it looked like a thing, you know, it looked like something he'd take off the lawn. But I just the fact that he had made it and then he gave it to me, even though he knew I didn't smoke. It just it didn't matter. It was like it was something he could do. And and what a guide might do is tell you how to make a better ashtray, make a something more useful for society, how you could shine it up better or glaze it or whatever. What a Sherpa would do is to say, that is really true. That's something. <laughs> and here's the deal. It is 50 years later. I still got the ashtray. Oh, how awesome. Yeah. Are you, and you, I wanted, you smoking? I'm assuming no. Oh, totally. Oh, I want to now. <laughs> Yeah, call me the marble man. But but one of the things that I want to do is I want to just delight in the people around me. And sometimes I think that we need to just stop being the sheriff. This doesn't mean you just let everything go. It's not like, you know, your truth, my truth. I believe there is a truth, but I just don't feel like I'm the guy telling everybody what they're supposed to do anymore. I just want to be fully present. I want to be fully engaged. I want to say, is there something I could do to help you on your way? I uh, teach a class at, at a Pepperdine Law School, but I also teach one at San Quentin. And I've got all these felons so uh, that are in my class. It's awesome. Uh-huh. Uh, we were all sitting in a circle and we were going around and and we were just talking. We, he, we'd been out in the yard and they're lifting weights and all that. If I tried to bench press, you know, 30 pounds, I'd have the bar across my chest. Yeah, same. So I was telling these guys, I said, what's something you just need to get off your chest? And we had gone around the circle beforehand to ask, you know, excluding me, how much time they had left to serve on their sentence. You know what the average was? 107 years. Oh my God. <laughs> so these guys had done some wrong. They were going to be there for a couple minutes. And we went around. And I said, What do you have to get off your chest? And the, as each person went around, as I went around and let them know just what, what I what it was feeling heavy about, where I felt like I'd failed some people, where I'd let them down. The guy next to me paused and he said, I did it. Like I've been in here for 20 years telling everybody I didn't do it. I got framed. I got to get this off my chest. I did it. And I'm telling you in that moment, he was the most free guy I've ever met. And I think what I want us to do is find our way back to our faith, our way back to our families, our way back to our purposes by just getting in touch with authentically engaging our lives in that moment to just say, I'm not saying camp out in these setbacks, but understand them. And then you don't have to have this duplicious life. You don't have like the Bob everybody knows, balloon boy. And then there's the actual Bob. So it just gets confusing if you have to toggle between the two. So just be like, go be you. If you want to dazzle God, go be you. That's such amazing advice. And it's something that I've lived myself. It's kind of the whole message of my podcast. I know everything about you, Bob, but I know you probably don't know anything about me, but like long story short, that was it for me. I literally like lived two totally different lives and, and I've, I've learned so much from that. And something that I really connected 
you know, that, that was a long time ago and I, I'm still learning, but something that I, I love that you always say in your content is, you know, don't, everybody wants to focus so much on the past, but how you talk about who is like 10 years from now, Bob, and live your life in the present, like 10 years from now, Bob. And I, it's something that I kind of talk about and touch on in my content of living your life to the fullest, because you're so right. It's like, we get caught up in this sleepwalking, like you talk about too, and dream big. And we're just like living and it's just, life just comes at us. So we make a decision. This thought comes in. We think that we say this, like we're not living these lives based on what we, the people that we actually want to become. And then it's like, well, we're at the end and we didn't do it. So, you know, I, I know, like I keep saying, I want to talk about dream big. Now I want to talk about dream big, really. So can okay, you say, while some of your other books will make you laugh or cry, you say that dream big will be different. You want this book to make you think. So explain what you mean by that. And maybe your inspiration for writing the book, because the messages in this book, when I read this book, it's like every single book you write, I'm like, there's no way that one's going to be better than this one. And then it's better. There's no way that one's going to be better than this one. And it's better. And this one is the best. It's the best. It's in my opinion, it's the best one. And oh, I love I'm it because so they're, it. they're all, it's, it's, it's a real, there are so many thought leaders and authors that I feel like it's great. We love the message, but it's, it's a similar version in, in the books. Yours are totally different. And I felt that in this book. So can you talk a little bit about the motivation for this one? Yeah. We're going to think. Yeah. I've written a couple books. The first one was love does. And that book is like, let's get a puppy. (laughs) And then later I wrote a book called everybody always. Mm -hmm. And that's like, let's train the puppy. And so dream big is let's train the owner. Mm. Let's just identify what it is that you want, why you want it, and what are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. And so if you could say those three things, like, so what do you want? And so let's say you were to ask one of your listeners, say, what do you want? You say, well, I want to be happy. Be like, awesome. Like, what would make you happy? Like get a million dollars, give away $2 million, go out on a date, go whatever, have a job. But to drill down on it, find out what do you want and then vet those things to say, why do you want it? Mm-hmm. Let's say you're, what you want is to be popular. You'd say like, well, then I would ask the question, just there's no shame in that. Just be like, okay, I want to be popular. And now I'm 61. So if I was 20 years old and can melt people's faces with a Stratocaster, I'd want to be popular. <laughs> I, I just want to be present now. Like that's for me. But But if your popularity was your thing, just ask the question, why do I want it? And what you'll find is that you might want that because really what down deep, you never felt accepted. Mm -hmm. And so popularity would be like a vote of saying like, you're awesome. And they say, well, why didn't you feel accepted? And by whom? And say, well, it was from my parents that they were perhaps your parents. When you did what they wanted, they gave you love. They express love. And when you didn't do what they wanted, they withdrew love. They weren't trying to screw with your head, but what happened? They screwed with your head Mm -hmm. because you learned that it was very performance-based, like Pavlov's dog. You do the thing, you get the treat. Oh, yeah. You don't do the thing, you don't get the treat. And the treat became love. And so then love became this thing that was manipulating you. And so then if you wonder, and then your parents split up, and you're wondering why your relationships only go three inches deep. Mm-hmm. It's because love was a tool of war. 
It was what was used to manipulate you. And you formed this unconscious limiting belief that if I ever really give my love away, then I'm going to be manipulated. And eventually they'll leave anyway. So what I want to do is to say, ask that question, why do you want it? And take a deep dive into that. I'm not saying get wrapped around the axle in that. There'll be nothing less rewarding than making everything about you. Yet, if you can understand why you're reacting or reflecting, whatever it is, then you'll actually be helpful to your friends. One thing you would know about me, I get super, super lonely. I get super, super lonely. So I spend so many days in other cities and countries. Mm -hmm. And when I'm away from Sweet Marie, I get super lonely. And so, but most people just know me as like the balloon guy, the happy guy, like whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it's true that in an act, but but they don't understand the thing. They're like, oh well, what do I want? What I want is companionship. Why do I want that? It is just to make small talk. I want to be known by somebody fully and somebody who makes me feel really safe. And that is a reaction to not being known or being misunderstood or not feeling safe. So I would just say, if we can understand that, then bring it forward. Say, what do you want? Why do you want it? And then importantly, what are you going to do about it? Yes. And so what I decided to do about it is I was saying, I'm going to make myself available. So I started putting my cell phone number in the back of every book. I know. I, I love that. I, can't, I could not believe that when I saw it. I was like, oh my gosh. There are 3 million people with my cell phone number. And here's the deal. I don't send anybody to voicemail. Wow. And so I get a hundred calls a day. And now that wouldn't be the move that sweet Maria would pick for her, (laughs) but she just says, Hey, if that blows your hair back, do it. And I just know how good it felt for me when I was young and I reached out to somebody and they took my call. I felt so valued. I felt so seen and even understood, even though they, I knew that we didn't have a relationship. And I got all of that by saying hello, just to say, man, I'll put down whatever I'm doing because a porter would do that. They go to the gate and they say, how can I help you on your way? That, that is amazing. You are the true embodiment of like everything in this book. So when you answer, so, so you actually answer. So you're talking to these strangers, these readers. So you answer like, do you say, I've got five minutes. Do you talk to them for however long they want? Like, how does that go? Yeah, I usually only have a minute and I'll just let them know like, oh, hi. There's one guy that asked me, he said, Bob, I want to know the one thing about relationships. <laughs> I'm like, oh, buddy, gosh, you haven't had all. a girlfriend yet, have you? Because there isn't it like asking an astronaut, what's the one thing about getting to the moon? Yes. <laughs> arrive? Like, uh-huh. I don't know. But what I told him is that if you did it, talk to an astronaut and ask him how to get to the moon, I wouldn't spend a lot of time talking about what color to paint the rocket ship. I wouldn't talk about whether it had rainbows on it or not. I'd spend a ton of time talking about who was in the capsule with me. And then if I wanted to get to the moon, what I'd do is I'd get the moon in the window. I keep pointing at it. And that's what I want people to do with their ambitions. Figure out what you want, vet it. Why do I want that? And then decide what you're going to do about that. Mm -hmm. Get that in the window. And if Jesus is what you want, forget this like Jesus take the wheel. Get him in the window. Keep pointing at it. If a deeper, more meaningful relationship with your husband is what you want, get your husband in the window. Keep pointing at that. I I, I I love that. 
Yeah. So I think if we could do that, and it's really kind of blowing the foam off the top and say, hey, don't make it really difficult. And and don't be difficult. If you're a little on edge, get a puppy. But what you don't need to do is make everything difficult for everybody else. Mm -hmm. Just know, just be absolutely certain that they're just as insecure as you are. Yes. And they're just trying to navigate their way. And so some people deal with their insecurities by being mean like a rattlesnake. Mm -hmm. I've thought of a couple pop to mind. There's a couple that deal with their insecurity by being quiet like a church mouse. I'm married to one. I deal with my insecurity by being fun. Mm -hmm. I just get more fun. The more insecure I get, the funnier I get. Like you could tell if I'm super insecure, I will get so funny because it makes me feel like the focus isn't on me anymore. Insecure Bobby Goff. I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, so what I need to do is realize what's happening, calm down and just, just say this room, this conversation is filled with acceptance. Mm -hmm. And there's something really beautiful about that. Then you can actually be who you are, not a caricature of who you are. Be who you are, not a caricature of who you are. I love that line. And and what you were just talking about, like these ambitions. So you see what you want. So if you want a beautiful relationship, like you just said, or a better relationship with Jesus, you see it out this this window and you you move towards it. And what I love about in Dream Big is you say you you have to find those worthwhile ambitions because something that I talk about too in my content, sometimes like we start climbing the mountain and we get to the top and we're like, well, shoot this was the wrong mountain, but I'd climbed so far and like every saw me climb and everything. And like, I'm already up here. So like, here, here we are. This is it. But it's, if it's not worthwhile, we waste our lives away. And I love it that you talk so much about that in this book is like, it's the whole, what we were just talking about, the why you want the thing so that it can be like a worthwhile ambition. And I, I love just when you talk about your life, you're like, I want to be youth leader. They didn't really accept you in the beginning. Yeah. So you said, okay, I'll be a lawyer. <laughs> I'll be a lawyer. What the heck? And then like you did that for 25 years and then you become an author. And I love the, you talk about your, in the meeting with the publisher, they're like, why don't you write a book? You said, well, will you build a school? And they said, well, uh, how big's the school? You know, that whole story. I, I just love that story. So you can have one ambition serve another ambition. And so you can say like you, there might be something that you're capable of. Like I've got a whole drawer full of licenses to practice law in different states, Mm -hmm. but that while I'm capable of being a lawyer, I don't feel like I'm supposed to be a lawyer right now. What I wanted to do is build schools, but it costs a bunch of money to do it. Mm -hmm. And I was a pretty good lawyer, but I wasn't as good as it would take to get that much money. Mm -hmm. So I thought, oh, well, I'll write a book. And so then I write the book and I thought, well, what I could do is do this and this and this. And so I want for all of us to let one ambition serve another ambition. One of my big ambitions is to just get home after having spent a lot of time away. We were in uh, Afghanistan, Iraq, Somalia, Uganda, Nepal, India, and a couple of Congo now with these schools. So I used to spend all my time in jungles and deserts and stuff. And so I really wanted to return home. You've seen Forrest Gump, right? Yes. Oh, yes. Love that movie. There's nothing about that movie I don't know. I know everything (laughs) about Forrest Gump. Did you know this? Every time Forrest was about to make a change, he wore a blue plaid shirt. No, no, I I, didn't know that. Yeah. When Forrest Gump was running, he had the braces on Uh and he said they threw a rock and he started running, ran out of his braces. He's wearing a blue plaid shirt. 
When really? he moved into the military, <laughs> blue plaid shirt. When he bought the boat Jenny and is painting Jenny on it, blue plaid shirt. And the last scene in Forrest Gump, his little boy is getting on the bus. Mm-hmm. What's his little boy have? A blue, blue, plaid, a blue shirt. plaid shirt. I'm That's ask, it. My dad so, loves that movie. I've got to ask him if he, did you just notice that? Or you like- I just know everything about that. Oh, you know Baba, the guy with all the recipes, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, for shrimp? Yeah. Uh, it, there's a scene where Forrest Gump is at the White House again, and Bubba is the waiter that gives him the Dr. Pepper. Really? Sally Fields, his mom, who's only six years older than him in real life, uh-huh. which is weird. Um, <laughs> Sally Fields, when Forrest does his run, Sally Fields is the person dressed up like a guy who meets him at the bridge asking him why he's doing that. Really? It's Sally Fields dressed up like a guy. And get this, do you know how long Forrest ran? That iconic scene, he's running in the desert and he stopped. He had been running for three years, two months, 14 days, 16 hours. Don't ask me why I remember oh this. I'm a lawyer. Um, <laughs> and he stopped and everybody said, he's about to say something. And he said, I think I'm going to go home now. And I think there's something beautiful and yeah. purposeful. And so I think sometimes some of us are spending so much time trying to provide for our families that we're not actually provide for our families. And we need to just run home to one another. So this is the time for Bob Goff that I'm running home. It's not three years, two months, 14 hours. It's instead, it's been this period of time on the run. And with all the crazy that's happened in the last couple of months, I'm just going to stick around home. I'm going to hang out. I'm going to raise this grandson. I'm going to give him so many adventures. And he's got two great parents that are going to do the same. That's real. That's really amazing. I, I remember like listening to some of your, the podcasts and stuff that you were on before. And you would always say before you had grandkids that you said you were more interested in the sonogram than the Instagram back then. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that was I, the best. I was threatening to our kids. I said, if you don't have a kid, like Maria and I are going to have another one. And that's just nasty. <laughs> So I love that. But you said you would do like your your scheduling nine months and one day in advance. Yeah, that's it. You said that is when my worthwhile ambition, if we're quoting from the book, that's where that changes. And that's what a gift to be able to know that tug in your heart is something that you want to do and commit to doing it because we all have so much trouble with that. I feel like. So you pick something that is worthwhile. And then once you have the right thing in the window, like I want to go home. Yeah. Three years, two months, 14 days, 16 hours. I want to go home. And so I bought a camp here in San Diego. On It's a 250 acres. And we're just going to make it a place where people can just get better. Whatever they need to get better at. Like if they, it's relationships, if it's some faith stuff, if it's whatever. Wow. And so I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to fail trying. I'm not going to fail watching. And I think sometimes people fail watch and they have this ambition in their life and they feel like it's just beyond reach. And I, I guess I want to just say, could we revisit that? Is that possibly a limiting belief that you got when you were eight years old because somebody told you not to swing for the fences, that only people who are irresponsible do that. And so this messaging that wasn't intended to form a whole life view became a whole life view. And so I just have been trying to revisit that for myself to say, you know what, I'm going out big. 
I'm just going to give a try to this thing. And if it fails, it fails. Mm-hmm. We've well, got you did 50... a whole course on fail. You know, I mean, that's what I you know. taught, right? Yeah, bingo. Yes. How cool. We bought this camp. It's exactly two the acre the size of Disneyland. Isn't that awesome? Just no Matterhorn yes. yet. But it does have 50 horses. And here's the crazy part. I've never been on a horse before. Still haven't. <laughs> I don't even know what in to put the straw in, but I'm going to figure it out. Because I always wanted a horse. I thought that would be awesome as a kid. And that was just out of reach for us. And so I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to get that. That's why Walt Disney made Tom Shore Island. It was to do all the things. There were no rides there. It was just to go and explore all the things that he wanted. And he had a dreaming tree. Did you know that? Yes, I've heard that before. It's so beautiful. It was a cottonwood and he would sit under his cottonwood tree Mm. and just dream. And so maybe I'll plant a couple cottonwoods out at this. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So just because I want to ask you two more questions and then I'm going to let you go because you just said dreaming and we touched on sleepwalking and that's a really big subject and what I speak to a lot of my followers about because I spent a lot of my life sleepwalking and I really love that phrase that you use in dream big I was like what a beautiful phrase this sleepwalking and and not living fully awake and what a detriment that I feel like is in our lives so can you just speak about that like what did you mean by that and kind of the mindset for entering each day, assuming there's a 38th miracle. I I love that also. I really love that piece and I would love to hear you speak on that. Yeah. So I have a friend who's an anesthesiologist and she's just terrific. We spend time together about every other week. And so she's exploring some of her ambitions and all that. I said, well, I don't know anything about anesthesiology other than they say like count backwards and you go Mm -hmm. 190 and then you're gone. She said, well, falling asleep, putting somebody out, isn't that hard? But what there are these different levels of becoming more awake. And the first level, as she sees these people coming awake, coming out of it, their eyes aren't focused. You could have one eye looking out the window and the other one up the chimney. Uh (laughs) Your eyes are just detached and you don't have focus. I'm like, well, that'll preach. And then he said that that, then she'll put a finger in front of it as they start to focus. Then she asks them, do you know where you are? So when it's awareness of where you are in your circumstances, then it's an awareness, do you know who you are? And then do you know why you're here? Isn't that beautiful? And when they know where they are, who they are, and why they're here, they're awake. And I would say, oh, girl, like that's a sermon right there. Isn't it? Just where you are. Be where your feet are and know where you are. Kind of like going to a big shopping center and there's an X. It says you are here. You have the situational awareness of where you are. You're not comparing yourself to other people because God never compares what he creates. But you just have an awareness of where you are in your relationships, in your faith, in your insecurities, in your fears, an awareness of those. And, And then to know like why you're here eventually to say, What's your purpose? And I've got to beat on what my purpose is. It's to love God and serve people. Like that's, I'm not saying that's because it's noble, but that is why I'm here. It's not to accumulate wealth. It's not to, but it's to do courageous things. Oh, did you see the movie? We bought a zoo. 
Okay, I've seen I've seen it like in the background, like oh, just going in the background. Oh, you gotta get that movie. But Watch isn't it the one tonight. where they had the Ark and the? No, 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 no. That's Evan Almighty. That's so okay. So what I've got is, <laughs> is there single dad, widowed, and trying to raise his two kids, and so he finds a place to live, and it's this really unique house. And they don't want to show it to him, but they see it, and lo and behold, there's a zoo that's been abandoned there. <laughs> and so the whole arc of the movie is about him and his kids connecting again around the zoo. And there's an important scene and he's talking to his son about how life works. And he says, son, all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. And I think for your listeners, if we have an ambition, you're about 20 seconds of insane courage away from getting there. Figure out what your ambition is. Know what you want. Figure out why you want it. Vet that thing. Make sure it isn't for something fleeting, like getting approval or validation from yeah. somebody you don't need approval or validation from. And and for women that are listening in, would you stop asking for permission from men to be you? Mm-hmm. Just go do your thing. Don't let any dude give you permission to do it. You've got permission. You're a strong, capable woman. I mean, the scriptures, like the guys were always saying about Jesus, I never even have heard of the guy. And it was always the women that were faithful. Yes, and it's yeah. true today. I'm the consul general for Uganda. And what Uganda did is they fired every male ambassador on earth and replaced them with women. Because oh guys God. talk, women get it done. Yes, I it's love same that. here. Oh, So so who you are, why you are here. And if you have that awareness of your overriding purposes to be available to my family, to say, I'm going to go home now because there's a beautiful ambition just waiting for me. I think you win at life. It's like you found the cheat codes. Mm -hmm. You found the cheat codes. I love that. Everything that we've talked about in this is just what a gift for all of my listeners. And Everyone has to get this book. Everyone probably that's listening to this, they're all going to already have it. Everyone is going to already have this book. But in case you don't, I'm going to leave a link in the bio where you can get the book. But Bob, I always end my podcast just because it's called the Living Fully Podcast. I always ask each of my guests, like, what does living fully mean to you? So I would love to close the podcast with that. So yeah, what does living fully? um, Yeah, this is a life that's full to me. It's a life where you have focus, where you're undistracted by all of the things that are occurring around you, and that your purposes are found in somebody, is somebody greater than you and somebody and something that's more important than all of your things. So we could find our purpose in serving God and to just make yourself available to people and to not be distracted. I've got a lawnmower outside going off. I'm undistracted by it. The the guy's just doing his job, which is awesome. And I think if you could just continue on with your conversations and let's live an undistracted life, I think you win. I also have two babies playing in like the next room. And I've learned that too, the lawnmower thing, to kind of just not be distracted if we could. It's all good. I so appreciate that answer. That was, of course, coming from you. I expected one of the most beautiful answers, but that was. So thank you, Bob. Thank you for coming on and talking to me today and my audience. But most importantly, just thank you for being the Sherpa, the person that helps us to get up the mountain time and time again, that helps us learn to love people and learn to love ourselves. And you you are just such a gift to this world. So 
Thank you. Uh, well, really honored to be with you. And thank you for your listeners for spending some time together. And then pull over if you are pulled over and then take a couple notes and say, this is what I'm going to do about what I heard. Mm-hmm. That's where it gets good. That's Instead of where it gets good. Okay, so here's the, this is what I'm going to do right now. It's the call I'm going to make. Don't make a list, make a call, mm-hmm. make a move. That's what a movement is. Just a bunch of people making moves. Mm-hmm. So make yours. I I love that. Yes, that's a, I'm really glad that you did that call to action too, because so many times we're inspired so deeply in life, but we don't make that first move. So everybody make that first move. Bob Goff is telling you here to make that first move. So awesome. Blessings on you. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Good. Say hey to your husband for me. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Living Fully with Mallory Irvin. And remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single minute of encouragement and inspiration to live your best life. Want more? Join us on MalloryIrvin.com so we can connect with you on Instagram and YouTube. Start living your life now. You've only got one. We'll see you next time.